Well, today we are going to continue our series entitled Restoration, and uh, we're going to talk about really this amazing process of how we grab hold of what God has for us and really begin to recognize that the best is yet to come. How many of you believe that this morning? Anybody believe that what God has in store for you is actually greater than what's behind you and that God is really calling us forward into some amazing things? So we're going to look in Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 is where we're going to start at, and we're just going to kind of read through a few verses, kind of just uh, kind of encapsulating a little bit of the story of Nehemiah. So the Bible says, when I heard this, and Nehemiah is speaking here, and he's just heard uh, that the people that have returned to Jerusalem are in great distress and great trouble. He's heard that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. He's heard that the gates have been burned with fire. And this is what the Bible says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then in verse 11, we hear a little bit of his prayer. He says, O Lord, please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me and put it into his heart to be kind to me. For in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, God is actually answering his prayer. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I, Nehemiah, replied, If it please the king, and if you were pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, the Bible says, And on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And we began to recognize last week, we talked a little bit about Nehemiah, and we said that Nehemiah's story is really an amazing story. And again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't read the story, to read it. If you had not read it in a long time, to reread the story of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah's story is really about reclaiming the promises of God. It's about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but even more so, it's about restoring a nation back to its former place of glory. And we said that we're going to take Nehemiah's story, and out of Nehemiah's story, we're going to kind of extract some, what I just want to call restoration principles, some basic biblical truths that apply to our lives today to help us experience the restoration power of God so that not only can we be whole, but that we can fully become all that God has called us to be. And I want to just encourage you in that today. I want to encourage you to refuse to settle for anything less than God's best for your life, right? Let's embrace the idea that God wants us to fully become all that he has called us to be. So let me give you a definition. We gave it to you last week. I want to kind of revisit that. So restoration, here's our definition of restoration. Restoration, the kingdom of God, is not about going back to what we used to be. It's about going forward into what God has called us to be. Nehemiah wanted to restore Jerusalem to its former glory, but God wants to restore us to our full glory. Why? Because the best version, I love this little statement, the best version of your life has not yet been lived because the best is yet to come. Amen? The best version of your life has not yet been lived. Why? Because the best is yet to come. So restoration is not about going back. And we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, that one of the greatest challenges that happens in our lives is many times we get stuck in the past 
because we want to redo the mistakes of yesterday, right? We wish that we could just go back, and if I could just go back and redo those mistakes and redo those things and redo those decisions, but we recognize something last Sunday. We recognize we can't go back, right? We can't redo and we can't undo any of the mistakes of yesterday, but we can embrace the future and the hope that God has for us. And then we talked about the flip side of that coin, that sometimes we get stuck in the past, not because we're trying to redo the mistakes of yesterday, but sometimes we want to go back and relive the glories of yesterday. We want to relive the victory of yesterday. And, oh, I just remember when, and it was so good. And if I could just go back to here, and if I could just go back to there, and I wish I could relive that moment. If I could just be 16 again. I don't know anybody that really wants to go back and do that, do y'all? <laughs> But the reality is that sometimes we get stuck in the idea that if I could just redo or if I could relive the past, things would so much be better. And many times we spend our time, we spend our energy, and we even spend our prayers praying and asking God to let us redo or relive the things of yesterday. But there's a great scripture in Luke chapter 9. I made reference to it last week. I wanted to just share it with you today. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus says that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Let me just say it like this. If you're looking back to redo or relive yesterday, you're looking in the wrong direction. Right? If you're looking back, you're looking in the wrong direction. Why? Because the best is yet to come. The future and the hope that God has for you is wrapped up into what God is doing today and what God wants to do tomorrow in your life as he calls us forward into the life that he has called us to live. Amen? So restoration is not about going back. Restoration is about pressing forward into the reality that the best version of my life is yet to come. We have to relinquish. Think about this for just a second. We have to learn how to relinquish our past. And that's a challenge sometimes. It's a challenge because there's regret and there's shame and there's condemnation. And then sometimes there's some amazing things that happen and we just don't ever want to let go. But when we learn how to relinquish the past, learn from it, Milk it for all it's worth, but at the same time relinquish it so we can embrace the future and the hope that God has for us. Amazing things really do begin to happen. So let's look real quick, just revisit our first restoration principle. We said that restoration requires earnest, heartfelt prayer, right? Earnest, heartfelt prayer, and that prayer acknowledges that the task is bigger than us and not independent of us. We have to pray and obey. We have to literally move in the direction of our prayers. Earnest, heartfelt prayers. The first thing that Nehemiah did when he heard of the devastation of Jerusalem and the condition of the people that had went back to Jerusalem, the Bible says he prayed and he fasted and he wept and he mourned for many days. Why? Because it broke his heart. I want you to think about something. Nehemiah was not just devastated because of the current condition of the nation. He was devastated because he understood the future promise that God had for them. He saw a bigger picture. He understood that where they were 
were was not what God really fully intended for them. They had suffered the consequences of sin. They had suffered the judgment of their sin. They had suffered repercussions and choices because of things that they had done. But Nehemiah knew something. He knew that God's heart, God's plan, and God's best was not over yet. And so when he heard about the devastation that was happening, he was broken and grieved. Why? Because he had a picture of something greater and grander in store. And we talked last week about the importance of recognizing that prayer acknowledges, hey, this is bigger than me, God, but it's not independent of me. And I want to just say it like this, and I said it this way last week. I want to repeat myself this morning. You will never become the person God's called you to be unless you cooperate with God. You will never become the person God has called you to be unless you cooperate with God. One of the challenges of us being a spirit-filled church, and we love all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we see a lot of here at Liberty is we'll hear sometimes people will get a prophetic word, and God will speak prophetically over the life of a person. I want you to understand something. Prophecy is a prophetic declaration of what could be if you work with God. It's a prophetic declaration of what should be if you work with God. But many people have aborted the prophecies spoken over their lives because instead of cooperating with him, we have rebelled against him. Prayer and prophecy are both contingent upon our ability and our willingness to work with God. And God prophetically declares and decrees what he's calling us to, to give us a future and a hope, to inspire us to move in the direction of the prayers and the prophecies that are being spoken over us. But he also wants us to recognize we've got a part to play in this. It's bigger than us, but it's not independent of us. And so we said we got to move in the direction of our prayers. Last Sunday when service was over, this service actually had uh, one of the guys in our church come up to me. And he said, Pastor Keith, he said, the Lord spoke to me while you were preaching today. And he said, I realized something. He said, I realize I've got to change my prayers. I said, what do you mean? He said, I recognize that if I'm supposed to be moving in the direction of my prayers, I need to be praying specific prayers. He said, my prayers have been very generic. And my prayers have been very general. He said, they're so generic and so general, I don't know if I know how to move in the direction of those prayers. He said, and I realize if I'm going to move in the direction of my prayers, I've got to begin to get specific about the things I'm praying about. Not just, Lord, bless me, but how do I want God to bless me? Not, Lord, just work through me, but how do I want God to work through me? And I need to begin to get specific in those things that I'm asking God to do so I can begin to move in the direction of the prayers that I'm praying. And as I was studying this week, the Lord reminded me of that conversation. And he said, Keith, he said, not only do we have to move in the direction of our prayers, he said, but our prayers actually set the direction of our heart. See, because you pray about the things that move you. Correct? You pray about the things that move you. If it doesn't move you, you don't pray about it. If it doesn't stir you up, you don't pray about it. But you pray about the things that move you. So the Lord said, Keith, he said, not only do we move in the direction of our prayers, but we also recognize that our prayers set the direction of our heart. And then he challenged me with this. He said, the the problem with that is this. If all you're praying about is for God to undo or redo the past, then your prayers are pointing you in the wrong direction. If all you're praying about is undoing or reliving the past, then you're praying in the wrong direction. And you're setting your face on yesterday instead of setting your face on the today and the tomorrow that I've purposed for you. 
And here's some good news. How many know the grace of God is so great? Where sin abounds, the Bible says grace does much more abound. And one of the greatest things to understand is that the failures and the mistakes of our past, when we confess them, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I don't have to relive the mistakes of my past because if I've asked God to forgive me, he has, and I can move forward into the future and the hope that I have. So if your prayers are pointing you back to reliving and redoing, then they're pointing you in the wrong direction. We've got to begin to pray toward the high calling of God in our lives. Amen? So the second principle we looked at last week is we said restoration requires an honest assessment. Denial delays the restoration process. You can never become the person God has called you to be until you get honest about who you are. The first thing that Nehemiah did when he went to Jerusalem is he inspected the walls. He said, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we've got to get an honest assessment of where we're at. And we talked about how important that was, how that God can't transform the pretend you. God can only transform the real you. And until we know where we are, we can never get to where God has called us to be. And that honest assessment is huge, right? So we have to get real to be restored. And again, I just want to remind you of this. God never requires an honest assessment because God wants to condemn us and make us feel bad about where we really are. Because here's what I've found out about myself. Maybe y'all know this to be true. I tend to think I'm better off than I really am. See, and the reason I tend to think I'm better off than I really am is because I judge myself by my intentions, not my actions. So I intended to do the right thing even though I didn't do it. I intended to pray, but I didn't pray. I intended to share the gospel, but I didn't share the gospel. I intended to spend time with the family, but I didn't spend time with the family. And so I think I'm really doing good because my intentions are right. And then we judge others based on their actions, not their intentions. Amen? (laughs) And so I have a tendency, and maybe you do too, to think I'm a little bit better off than I am. And what that does is that stifles me because denial delays the work of restoration. Denial keeps me from coming to a place of honest assessment of my life so I can begin to move forward because the moment I get honest with God about who I really am and where I really am, it is at that moment, not that God condemns me because he does it, and not that God judges me because he does it, it's at that moment that God empowers me by the Holy Spirit to begin to rise up and move in the direction that he's calling me to. And that is so significant and so huge to the process of restoration. So let's look at our next point today. So restoration not only requires earnest prayer, not only does it require honest assessment, but restoration requires a mindset that works. A mindset that works. Looking back is memory, but looking ahead requires creativity. The future, your future requires faith, imagination, and hard work. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. I'm going to read two translations. I love how they both read. It says, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And in Nehemiah 4, 6, NLT translation, it says, and at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people worked with enthusiasm. Now look at Romans 8, 6, because this is a key verse. Because restoration requires a mindset that works. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
if we're going to be restored, if we're going to fully become the person God is calling us to be, we've got to have a mindset that works. And what, is I, what do I mean by that? We've got to be spiritually minded. We've got to be spiritually minded. We've got to have the mind of Christ. And the Bible actually says we've been given the mind of Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to tap in to the mind of Christ. We've got to be spiritually minded and have a mindset that works toward the restoration process of God. And then I make that little statement. Look at that next little statement. So looking back, look at this. Looking back is memory. Many people are stuck in the past because they don't live out of a creativity, they live out of a memory, right? I just do what I know to do. I act like I've always acted, I talk like I've always talked, I respond like I've always responded, and I'm living out of memory, right? I'm, re- I'm living out of memory, not creativity. And we all know the definition of insanity, right? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, See, one of the greatest challenges that keeps us locked into the past is that we don't have a mindset that works toward restoration. We have a mindset that operates out of memory. And we just relive what we know, and I know how to do this, and I know how to do that, and I know how to do this, and I know how to do that, and we stop learning, and we stop growing, and we stop stretching, and we stop creating, and we stop becoming the new person God has called us to be. Let me me make a statement. If the best is yet to come, then what you know has got you where you are, but it's not enough to get you where God is calling you to be. What you know has got you where you are, but it's not enough to get you where God is calling you to be. You've got to learn something you hadn't learned. You've got to do something you hadn't done. You've got to experience something you haven't experienced. You've got to go somewhere you've never gone. You've got to become something you've never been. Why? Because what you know has produced who you are, and if you're going to become who God is calling you to be, it's going to require something new being interjected into your heart and your mind, and your life. When you think about creativity, how many of you know that our God is a creator, amen? And when you think about the creativity of God, God doesn't operate out of memory. God operates out of creativity. There are 7 billion people on the planet, and nobody is just the same. Think about that. Even identical twins are different. God's been making people since the genesis of time, and he's never made two people just alike. Why? Because God's not operating out of memory. This is how I make a man. This is how I make a woman. No, God is operating out of a creativity where he is continuing to reinvent the glory of who he is in the hearts and the lives of people so that we continually are different and unique and special. Why? Because he is a creator God who's not duplicating what he has done. He is creating something new in every person he makes. And if you're going to be spiritually minded, and you're going to have a mindset that works toward the restoration process, then you've got to have a mentality of creativity instead of just operating out of memory. Now, there's nothing wrong with what we know. It's just not enough to get us where God is calling us to go. And so I've got to be willing to tap into the creativity and begin to dream again the dreams that God has for me. So let's talk about that last part of that that statement right there. The future requires faith, imagination, and hard work. Let's talk about faith for just a second. Faith, you have to believe. You have to believe that the best is yet to come. 
You have to believe that what is in front of you is better than what's behind you. You have to believe that the best version of your life has not yet been lived yet. See, if you don't believe that, you'll settle in the past. If you don't believe that the best is yet to come, you'll spend your entire life, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to relive or trying to redo yesterday. Trying to reclaim something that God doesn't want to reclaim. God wants to repurpose for a greater glory. God wants to use it in a new way, in a fresh way, in a totally crazy way to take you somewhere you've never gone before. And so it requires faith. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that the greater glory, the grandest glory, the greatest version of your life is in front of you. Because if you don't believe it, you will settle. Without faith, you'll never please God. Why? Because without faith, you'll never press in for what God is calling you to be and what he's calling you to do. So the future requires faith. Restoration requires faith to believe that what's ahead of me is greater than what's behind me. And it also requires imagination. Kind of another play on creativity, but I I want you to think like this. When is the last time you imagined what your future could look like? When is the last time you imagined a brighter day, a better day, a better you? When's the last time you dreamed another dream about what your future could look like? This morning as I was praying, the Lord said to me, he said, Keith, he said, imagine, could you just begin to imagine if the best is yet to come, what would happen? What would your life look like if you fully committed and submitted yourself to my dream for your life? What would that really look like? the souls that you could reach, the impact that you could make, the lives that could be changed, just begin to imagine what it could look like. See, most of us are not living out of imagination. We're living out of memory. We're just replaying what has been instead of imagining and creating what could be. I love kids. Y'all love kids? You better not say no to that one. That'll make you look bad. You can never say you don't like kids. I love kids. One of the things I love about kids is kids have amazing imaginations, right? They believe they can do anything. They believe nothing's impossible, they, that the sky is the limit. They have not been oppressed by the world long enough to remove the dream and the imagination and the vision that's within them. And unfortunately, what happens to us as adults, we, we, we just... We, we use it, like we use this little excuse. Well, you know, I'm just being real. You know, you just got to be real. You know, and the reality is, well, and I understand, we do have to be real. We talked about honest assessment. You do got to get real. But getting real is not declaring and decreeing that nothing can change. Getting real means I understand where I am, and I'm believing that God is going to do something different because I'm going to change. Right? That's reality. Reality is not saying nothing can change. Reality is acknowledging what it is so God can create what he wants it to be. And I'm going to begin to work with him. So it requires imagination. We've got to begin to dream again. The future requires faith and imagination. And then look at that last part because this is huge. The future requires faith, imagination, and hard work. Nehemiah 4 said they had a mind to work. Nehemiah 4 said they worked with enthusiasm. 
One of my favorite quotes, John Hagee said it. He said, the only time that success comes before work is in the dictionary. (laughs) And all the kids are thinking, what's a dictionary? No, we all know what a dictionary is, right? (laughs) It's on your phone. That's what a dictionary is. It's that thing on your phone. Hard work. How many know hard work is not a bad word? It's not a curse word. It's God's word. It's God's word. God gave man work to do before sin entered the world. God gave man work to do. God gave man work. Why? Because you're never going to step into what God is calling you to do without faith, without imagination, and hard work. Hard work. And one of the greatest challenges that happens in a culture is, is that we settle for the past because we get lazy. We get lazy. And this is a good group. I love our 930 service because 8 o'clock is my mature crowd, right? <laughs> 930 is my good little blended service right here. And 11 o'clock, we're so young, I don't know. I'm trying to connect with them, so it's all good. <laughs> but, but what challenge, let me just say it's for this crowd today, for the 930 service. Some of you are mature. And unfortunately, with maturity, we begin sometimes to make excuses for not working hard toward the things God has called us to do. Now, I'm not saying you got to work like a 20-year-old, but you ought to work hard like a 50-year-old. You ought to work hard like a 60-year-old. You ought to work hard like a 70-year-old. Now, I don't know what that looks like in every, every case and every person, but I do know this. I do know that lazy never pays off. I do know that lazy keeps you stuck in the past. I do know that as long as we make excuses for not working hard toward the things God is calling us to do, we'll never do the things God has called us to do. And it doesn't matter what the excuse is. See, because on the flip side of the coin, next service, I'm going to tell all the young people in here, they're all making excuses because they're saying, I'm too young. And then this service will make excuses that we're too old. And then when you're stuck in the middle, we're too busy. Right? Right? I'm too busy raising my kids. And all of a sudden, what what we recognize is that if I'm going to experience the restoration power of God, I'm never too old, I'm never too young, and I'm never too busy. Because if I have faith and imagination, I'm willing to put some hard work into the mix, I can step in. When you read the story of Nehemiah, they work with a trial in one hand and a sword in the other hand in order to build the wall. Why? Because what God had called them to do was worth doing. Amen? And restoration requires faith, imagination, and hard work. Look at the next point. Restoration requires focused attention and determination. Focused attention and determination. When we decide to move forward, I want you to hear me, there will always be demonic distractions. When we decide to move forward, there will always be demonic distractions. Nehemiah chapter 6, let me read it to you. Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arabian night. You see us there, we are in the Bible. He's from Aram. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up doors in the gates. So Samballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. 
so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Let me just say this to you today. If you're moving toward what God has called you to do, you are engaged in a great work. And let me just make a blanket statement right here, because not only do we have individual callings, there are corporate callings. If you're a husband, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you're a wife, you're called to respect your husband and submit unto him as unto the Lord. If you're a parent, you're called to train up your children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. If you're a child, you're called to obey your parents and honor them that it may go well with you. If you're an employer, you're called to treat the people that work for you as unto Christ. And if you're an employee, you're called to work unto the Lord as work for your employer as working unto the Lord, right? Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a general call that God has over us, and then there are specific calls that God has for our life. So let me just say this to you today. If you're working toward the call that God has on your life, you are doing a great work. You're doing a great work. Nehemiah's building the wall, and Sam Ballot says, hey, come and meet with us. We need to talk about what's going on. And he said, I can't stop what I'm doing because I'm doing a great work. Well, you're not doing a great work. You're just building the wall. Yeah, I'm building the wall because God called me to build a wall. I'm mowing the grass because God called me to mow the grass. I'm getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning going to work to provide for my family because that's what God called me to do. I'm doing a great work. I'm homeschooling my kids. I'm educating my children. I'm raising my grandkids, whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing in pursuit of the call of God, it is a great work. And one of the challenges I think that happens is that we look at the trial in our hand and we think this is an ordinary work. But when Nehemiah looked at the trial in his hand, he said, this is a great work. Don't, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever be deceived into thinking that the everyday ordinary things, paying the bills, providing for your family, loving your family, investing in your kids, don't ever be deceived those things are not significant. It is an extraordinary work. It is an extraordinary work. I am involved in a great work, he said. Don't ever be deceived into thinking that it's not a great work. Now look at the rest of the story. He says, why should I stop and come meet with you? I'm engaged in a great work. Look at verse 4. He says, so four times... They sent me the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. And the fifth time, Sam Ballot's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that this is true, that you and the Gentiles are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, Nehemiah, you plan on being their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah, and you can be very sure that this, that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. But look at Nehemiah's reply. There is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying, look at this, to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us. And here's the key, and stop the work, so I continued the work with even greater determination. Let me make a couple of statements to you. Number one, resistance is normal. <laughs> when you begin to do what God has called you to do, and you begin to move forward into the future and hope that God has for you, resistance is normal. <laughs> and so many times we act surprised. <laughs> we act surprised by all the resistance. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like it, but it's normal. <laughs> I don't enjoy it, but it's normal. There's resistance. 
Because all of a sudden, you start swimming against the current. All of a sudden, you start going against the flow. All of a sudden, you start rising up and walking toward the thing God has called you to do. And all of a sudden, the world begins to stand up and the enemy begins to push back. And you begin to understand, hey, there is resistance. Hear me today. There are demonic distractions every time you set out to move forward in what God has for you. And let me give you a great thought. The devil can't stop you, but he can invite you to stop. A distraction is an invitation to stop doing what you're doing and do something else. A distraction is an invitation to stop doing what you're doing and do something. Come talk with us. Come sit down and let's meet about it. Come let's debate it. Come let's discuss it. Understand, Nehemiah recognized something. He recognized restoration was going to take focused attention. I've got to set my face. There's a story in the Gospels of Jesus. The Bible says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. His time had come. The cross was waiting him. His purpose for being born was about to be fulfilled. And he set his face, focus, attention. They said, let us make you your king. He said, I'm going to be a sacrifice right now. I'll be a king later. He set his face, focused attention. I want to just say today, you and I have got to focus our attention. Why? Because every day there are demonic distractions, which are simply invitations to get you to stop the work that you're doing. Invitations. Just come and meet with us. Just stop doing what you're, just take a break. Let's move on. And I'm not saying we don't need a break. And I'm not saying we don't ever need to take a vacation. And I'm not saying you don't need to rest. And I'm not saying you don't need balance. I'm just saying you don't need to respond to the devil. You need to listen to God. And when the Lord says it's time to breathe, breathe. And when the Lord says it's time to stop, stop. When the Lord says take a vacation, take a vacation. But when the devil is trying to distract you, which is simply to invite you through distraction to stop doing what you're doing, refuse it. Refuse it. We've got to focus our attention, and we've got to have a bulldog determination that says I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Why? Because I believe the best is yet to come. Amen. I want you just to bow your heads for just a minute. We're going to let our worship team come. We're going to ask our prayer teams to come. But I want to do this this morning. Maybe you're here today and maybe you recognize something. Maybe you realize I've spent the last 30 minutes talking about the future and the hope that God has for us. And I've been talking about cooperating and working with God to see His plan fulfilled in your life. And maybe you realize this morning, maybe you realize, I've never done that. I've never surrendered my life to Christ and put my life in His hands to the point that I said, God, I want you to shape me and make me into the person you want me to be. I've been shaping and making my own life, and I realize today I need God to do that. I want to work with Him, and I have a part to play, but I can't do God's part. Because the Bible says very simply this, the Bible says our sins and our iniquities have separated us from God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died to take our place 
to bear our punishment, to offer us a gift today that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Today you can receive that gift. Today you can trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And you can put your hands today, or you can put your life in the hands of God and let Him mold you and shape you and make you into the person He's calling you to be. If that's you today and you realize you've never really done that, maybe you've been to church, maybe you've prayed a few prayers, maybe you've read your Bible, but you know in your heart of hearts you have never truly given your heart over to the will and plan of God. And you've never received that gift of eternal life through Jesus. And you want to do that today. If that's you, I want you to do something very simple and very bold. I want you just to stand to your feet right now. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins, and I want to trust Him to mold me and shape me into the person He's called me to be. And I want to commit my life today to Christ. If that's you, just stand. Just a simple act of faith. Today I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. I need Him. And I want to ask Him today to save me. We're about to go into a time of worship. We're going to open the altar up for prayer. But if this is you right now, please stand. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. You know right now God's talking to you. You know right now God's talking to you. So just respond. Just a simple act of faith. Just to stand and say, today's my day. Well, Father, I thank you today for the open arms of Jesus. I thank you for the love and grace of your Son. And I thank you that you declared boldly in your word that whosoever will, they could come. So, Lord, as we prepare to worship you and as we open the altar in prayer, God, I pray for every person here this morning. Lord, I pray that we would fully embrace the future and the hope that you have for us. I pray that we would become a restoration-minded people and that we'd have a mindset that works, that you'd release faith and imagination and creativity, and, Lord, that our hands would work and our lives would commit to seeing the fullness of your glory. So, God, we worship you this morning, and we thank you for your grace over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.